before I jump in this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you have not been baptized as a believer, it's, it's a very simple command to obey. And I want to encourage you to be baptized two weeks from today. It's very, very simple. So I just want to encourage you to come talk to Pastor John, talk to me. We will, we'll get you set up and organized two weeks from today. I've not known most of you for five years. I've known you less than that. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, what happened to us in about 2008. In 2008, my wife and I, we believe the Lord was leading us uh, to pursue an international adoption. And when this happens, you fill out a significant amount of paperwork. And we went through hours of training and we handed over lots of money and we had massive setbacks. The first agency we went with deemed us unfit as parents and kicked us out. And along the way, we were rejected as parents on a few occasions. But after waiting 18 months, two years, we we finally got a picture of our future daughter and what's called a referral picture. I don't know if you can see her very well out there. Um, Yeah, she had her head shaved. There, there. <laughs> it's interesting. She is from Ethiopia. And um, so that's a referral. We got that through our email. And then the challenges started to ramp up uh, with legal issues, immigration issues, technical issues that drove us to tears. Uh, but we were focused on bringing our little girl, Mary, home. And so we, we made two trips to Ethiopia. And she finally came home. And now she's about to turn four. You want to see some pictures of her before, yeah? Isn't that great? That snow picture is not in Ethiopia. That is definitely in Chicago. And we enjoy her and love her and have a lot of fun with her. I show you that because of the affection we have for Mary. Whether you believe it or not, God has set his affection on you. And it's not because you're cute. Well, some of you are cute, but most of you, no. I mean, we are steeped in sin, in rebellious sinners. And God, in his affection for you, sent his son, Jesus, to die and to rise. And in his calling to you, stirring you up to repent and believe, He has saved you. He has justified you. But what's really cool, according to the Bible, is that he has adopted you into his family. And just as Mary is going to be our daughter throughout her days on this earth, so you, as an adopted child of God, have this secured future on into eternity. I don't know if you've ever thought about Theologically, before, spiritually before adoption, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, pretty much says it is, it is the top doctrine <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But the Father, God of the universe in Christ, has adopted you into his family. Let's take some time to think about that this morning as we go back to Romans 8. So go ahead and turn back to Romans 8. We're going to the book of Romans, and now we're in Romans 8. And in Romans 8, if you've been with us, we 
have been in the context of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the Holy Spirit indwells believers and gives them life free from the condemning effects of sin through the gospel of Jesus. And now the believer cooperates with the Holy Spirit and puts sin to death and lives a life of holiness. And as we come into our passage today, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit who makes you an adopted child of God with a firm hope in future glory. And what I'm really hoping is that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, will so impress it upon your heart and your life today that you are an adopted child of God with a glorious future. You are an adopted child of God with a glorious future. And I want to kind of keep you organized because sometimes I feel like when we go through Romans 8, we're really good with the, la- the first verse and the last few verses, and we get kind of you know, muddied in the middle. So let me kind of give you some structure this morning. We're going to consider our Christian identity as adopted children of God, verses 14 through 17, and this concept of Christian hope, future glory when we're with the Lord forever. It's fairly straightforward. That's where we're going this morning. So let's start out with our Christian identity. Let's start with verse 14. Verse 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now some of you may use the terminology that the Holy Spirit led me to do something. Wherever you, if you want to use that language, just don't use it with citing this verse. Because this is not the leading of the Holy Spirit, like the Spirit led me to ask you to marry me, or the Spirit led me to take this job. That's not the context of this verse here. The context of this verse here is one of pursuing holiness, the leading of the Spirit in holiness. Because if you look at the previous verse, in verse 13, in the context, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The idea is there is that the Holy Spirit enables you to put sin to death. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, he will lead you into a life of holiness. That is the context. And those who are led by the Spirit, according to verse 14, are sons of God. Don't be tripped up by this sonship language. He's even calling the girls in here sons of God. Why is he using that language? Because in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's son. Sometimes they were referred to as God's sons. And we know that Jesus is called God's son, and all of us in union with Christ are sons as well. But this language, as you will see, is so important in our context because this son is the one who receives the inheritance. We'll see that in a little bit. Now, later, Paul is going to call us all children of God, but it is important to root us deep as the adopted sons of God. Keep going. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Christian is not a slave to sin, therefore the Christian does not need to live in fear. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. If you are a believer, you do not need to be afraid of the condemning effects of God, that he will pour out his wrath on you and send you to hell forever. You need not fear that. 
In fact, we remember today on this uh, Christian calendar of what we call Palm Sunday of Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and he was being held as king, but they had a wrong misconception of kingship at that time. He was a king who came to enter the city and face tribulations and eventually die on the cross in the place of sinners. And he was buried. And he came back to life. And those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus now have the Holy Spirit living in them. And it is not a spirit where we are now afraid of the condemning effects of God. We are now accepted. And it is told to us that this spirit is not one of fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we are not this slave to fear, but we are an adopted son. Now, only Jesus is the natural son, right? He is the natural son of God, and he has been for eternity. But those who are united with Christ have now received the spirit of adoption as sons. Basically, this is saying you have been adopted by God. And now as the Holy Spirit lives in you, there is this cry that you have in your heart to God, a cry of prayer by which you say, Abba, Father. Now, this Abba word is an Aramaic word for father. And just as Jesus called God his father, you can start to interact with God on that same intimate way. You can have this intimacy that has been created by the Spirit where you call God Abba or Father or Papa or Daddy or more accurately perhaps Dearest Father. This is not a flippant language where we're saying, oh, my dad or daddy in a flippant type of way. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about in a way where we are dependent children who are not afraid to come to our father and approach him because he loves us and he has adopted us. And there's this intimate connection that we have with the father. You can see this intimate connection on this earth in physical adoption, When a family adopts a child, they bring that child into their family and typically they give that child their last name to say, look, you are part of this family now. For example, my daughter, Mary, her last name is Lancaster because she is a Lancaster today and we love her and she's part of the family and she's become one of us. But I don't know if you know this. Though Mary is a Lancaster, she has a special connection with just me. In fact, it's a legal connection. I don't know if you know this, but when you adopt from Ethiopia, they have this really amazing uh, rule or law that is legal that when you adopt a child, and I've adopted Mary, she not only takes on our last name, but she has to take on my first name as her middle name. How about that? That goes in all the paperwork and birth certificates. So her name legally and through this adoption is Mary Jason Lancaster. Isn't that cool? Poor girl. But, but we, we had mercy on her. We don't want her to go through life with a boy middle name, so we changed her, to her middle name to Tamara. So she's married Tamara Lancaster. But I know, I know the special connection we have. 
And it's same with us within the church. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's this special connection that we have with the Father. Because he loves us. And our response to his love is, Abba, Father. In fact, I would go far to argue that it is an emotional or an experiential response that the Spirit actually does within us. We see that in the next verse. Look at the next verse. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you are a, a believer in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to your spirit and affirm and assure you that you are a child of God. It's not a ministry of fear, but one of confirmation. It is something we experience. This is not for special Christians. This is not, well, if you get filled with the Holy Spirit and have this special blessing of this and that, then you'll start to this. No, this is, this is something that we are assured of all believers that you are going to be affirmed by the Spirit of God that you are a child of God. The amazing work of the Spirit. And as a child of God, an adopted child of God, get this, you have the full rights of sonship. You have the full rights of being a child of God. And your full rights means that you, I mean, I don't want to say it in a in a and in this kind of way, I'm going to say it anyway. As a child of God, you're going to cash in. You, you get the inheritance. You're going to get it. You're going to get all of it. So what do we mean by cashing in? What's the inheritance? Well, we'll, we'll look. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you see there, we're called fellow heirs with Christ. We're in union with Christ, where we share the inheritance that Christ has gained for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So as a child of God, your inheritance uh, is going to be obviously eternal life, freedom from sin, and an inheritance of, basically, you're going to inherit the earth and all the promises of God that you can find in the Bible. But I want you to notice something again in that verse. Notice our inheritance where it says, look, it says, heirs of God. You see it? Well, I would just circle that, highlight it, underline it, even in the Pew Bible. Just put it there. Just Heirs of God. What will we inherit? No, it's amazing. Did you see it? We will inherit God himself. You see it? We're heirs of God. That is so awesome. We know God now, but we are going to fully be with him, inherit God himself. If you wonder, well, what's so great about heaven? It seems so boring. What are we going to do up there? Oh, yeah, you're going to inherit God. You're going to be with God forever. If you, you're not a big fan of God right now, well, first, you're, you're not going to heaven. But then you wouldn't even enjoy heaven because it's about being with God. We inherit God himself. That, that is unbelievable. And it's a great promise in the scriptures. But some in the church of Rome may be wondering, if we have such a great future, and if we are children of God, 
And if we are going to inherit God himself, what about all this suffering? What about all this pain? What about all this persecution? Is all the suffering that we're experiencing now going to nullify our inheritance? And Paul says, oh, no, no, no. He says it specifically. He says that provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What Paul is getting at is that those who are true believers in Jesus, the road to glory is a road marked with suffering. And I don't need to convince you of that. Many of you are experiencing that. But your suffering does not nullify your adoption. Your suffering does not nullify your inheritance. And this is where we move into the second part of having this secured future, this Christian hope of a future glory. Look at verse 18. This is very interesting. So try to stick with me here. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is so confident, he's so assured of this future glory that the, the, the suffering that he is experiencing in the present doesn't even need to be compared. Because the suffering that we have right now is just a blip. It's just a blip on the screen. So let's not even compare it to the glory that is coming. He says something very similar in a, in a, in a verse I just love in 2 Corinthians four seventeen. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's like we can't even compare our suffering now with the future glory because the suffering now is just a blip. It's here, then it's gone, and glory lasts forever. I once took this verse and printed it out and snuck into a nursing home. I used to do a lot of ministry in the nursing home, and there's a woman I was ministering to. Her name was Miss O'Neill. She suffered a lot in her body, but she loved Jesus. But she was in a significant amount of pain. So I printed this out, this verse, really big, so she could read it. I snuck into her room where she was sleeping, and she, I mean, she just could not move. So she was in bed all the time. And while she's sleeping, I just stuck it right on top of her <laughs> so that when she woke up, she would see it. Because it is such an encouragement that the suffering you face now is light, it's momentary, and glory later <laughs> is weighty, and it is eternal. And I'm not trying to, to diminish your suffering now, and Paul isn't either, because what you're feeling now are the effects of sin, and sin has tainted everything. In fact, we're about to see that sin has even tainted creation. So much so that the created order is even looking forward to liberation. Now, let, just try to stick with me here. So look at these next verses. These, this is a figure or a, person, a personification of creation. Now, stick with it. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
is a, this is a figure. It's a personification. The imagery here is creation, like the created order, is, is longing for us to be free from the presence of sin and with the Lord forever and resurrection bodies. And that the future hope for us is also the future hope for creation. I'm going to do a little teaching here. Hope you can stick with me. So, due to the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the creation became cursed by God. Remember that in Genesis? That thorns and thistles shall now dominate instead of flourishing. Remember that in Genesis? And at that time, it says here that the creation was subjected to futility. So if you look out upon creation, as beautiful as it is, the creation is not hitting its fulfillment as God intended, but has been corrupted and decays, and as we know, things die. Now, I know there's uh, movements in America and around the world about caring for our environment because the, the, the statements are that we have ruined our environment and we are destroying our creation through modern practices. And I just want to say to you, you have no idea how much the environment was corrupted when Adam and Eve sinned. Someone has called Adam and Eve the first polluters of this earth when they sin. And no amount of recycling, no amount of biking to work, no amount of clean fuel can fix the underlying damage done to creation through the entrance of sin. We can care for creation, but we cannot fix it. Care for it all you want. Be wise. Be a good steward. But you can't fix it. It will not be fixed until that day when Christ comes back and creates a new heaven and a new earth and restores creation. So it is hitting its fulfillment. So salvation is so encompassing. Our future glory is that we're not only going to be redeemed in bodies, but it's going to touch everything where we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And I want to tell you more of what that's going to be about, but we're not going to talk about it now. Come back in three years. We'll go through Revelation. I'll see you then. Move on to verse 22. So while creation waits, it groans. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we have this image, this personification, uh, these labor pains. <laughs> the creation is having labor pains leading to a full-term delivery of a new heaven and a new earth. But not only is creation groaning as a woman in labor, but we do as well. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I, I would say, that the, as I'm thinking about this section, this is probably the most important verse, and it's the one I really want you to get. And so in order to make you get this, I'm actually going to take the verse backwards. Why not? Let's take the verse backwards. Because the verse starts to explain glory. And when I tell you about glory, what do you think I'm talking about? 
Well, not only am I talking about the new heaven and the new earth, but also as we take the verse backwards, look at the end of verse 23, I'm also talking about the redemption of our bodies. Just as I tell you that you cannot ultimately fix creation, you can care for it, but you can't fix it, in the same way you can care for your body, but you can't ultimately fix it. You're still going to decay and you're still going to die. But when we talk about glory, we're talking about the redemption of our bodies. So when we die, our souls go to be with the Lord, like I said last week, but our bodies stay on this earth. And at the coming of Jesus Christ, our souls and our bodies are together and we have this glorified body that we will have with the Lord forever. And that event is actually called the completion of our adoption. Look at it again. Let's keep going backwards. It talks about not only the redemption of our bodies, but that we eagerly are waiting for adoption as sons. You see, when we have these glorified bodies, that's going to be the completion of our adoption. Just as we brought Mary back from Ethiopia to America, and she was technically ours, and even legally ours, we had to walk into a Chicago courtroom and stand before a judge and finalize the adoption. It's the same way we've been adopted by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the gospel, and yet we are still waiting for this finalization. We're waiting for this, this I guess, this public proclamation of our adoption when we have these resurrected bodies when we are with the Lord forever. And that will be the finalization of our adoption. Keep taking it backwards. Okay? So glory is the redemption of bodies. Adoption of sons. How do we know it's going to happen? Well, look, it says. It says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Just as the farmer waits for the first batch of the crop to come in, the first fruits, and he gathers them, those are a guarantee of what is to come in the future. So we who have the Holy Spirit now, the fullness of the Spirit, which is a pledge of what is to come in the redemption of our bodies in glory. So you put it all together, redemption of our bodies is coming in glory. It's the finalization of our adoption. How do we know it's going to happen? We have the first fruits of the Spirit guarantee and a pledge to our future resurrection bodies. But what do we do now? The text says we groan. And I see it as a double groan. We groan because of the suffering that we have here and we groaning with the longing to be with the Lord forever. We groan in the pain and things that do not go right, relational issues, physical issues, vocational issues. We groan in suffering now and we also groan to be with the Lord forever. But in our groaning, we don't harp on the pain. We don't say it's all about the pain, and we don't groan as those without hope. We do suffer just like the rest of the world, but we don't suffer without hope. Someone has put it this way. Just be thinking about um, having babies. Someone has said, you know, guys don't show pictures of their wives in labor. A guy didn't say, look, I want to show you my wife's face. Look, he pulled out my wallet. When she was in labor, look at her face. She is just in so much agony. Guys, 
if you do that, that explains a lot of the issues right there. No, but well, what do guys do? What do they do? No, they, they show the picture of their wives holding the baby. The labor's over. The groaning's over. It's complete. What a great picture. The same with us now. We do suffer. But we want to keep focusing and harping on all the suffering. Though we groan, we also want to look forward to this glorious redemption that is coming where we will be adopted children of God with that finalization at home and glory forever. But until then, we wait for it with patience. It's coming. We've got to be patient, but it's coming. And that's the way he finishes up. Verse 24, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I don't want to sound overly spiritual right now. But I want to tell you something. In the future, we are going to inherit God. Adoption will be finalized. And I don't want to sound overly spiritual, but right now, I just want to be with the Lord. Paul said to live as Christ, to die is gain. And why is death gain? Because we get Christ. And I don't want my comments to sound suicidal or, wow, Jason's last sermon before he was killed during the week was about wanting to be with the Lord. I just want to be with him. And I don't feel like, I, I don't have to do anything else. And I love my family. I love being with you. But I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to have one more moment or second on this earth. I, I'm, I want to be with the Lord right now. He is my inheritance. And I want him. But until then, you and I have to wait patience. We wait for our glorification with patience. We wait to see him with patience. We wait for the finalization of adoption with patience. And as we wait, we suffer. We suffer. But as we suffer, we don't run away from our suffering. Why don't we run away from the suffering like the rest of the world tries to run away from the suffering? Because the suffering is just a blip when we know it. It's just so small. As much as it hurts, it's just no, it's small compared with what's coming. So when you suffer as being a Christian, don't bail on Christ, but hope for what you do not see and wait for it with patience. And when you suffer in relationships or the lack of relationships, don't go the ways of the world, but hope for what you do not see and wait for it with patience. And if you are bored or crushed by life, it really will do you no good to turn to the idols of sex and money and power or anything else. But hope for what you do not see and wait for it with patience. The Bible is telling us, here's the encouragement, you are an adopted child of God with a glorious future. 
And I know the pain and suffering can make you feel unstable. It can make you lack confidence and security. It can make you wonder if God loves you. It makes you wonder if you're even going to make it. I don't know firsthand, but I just know through talking to other people that on this earth, those who have, had a, uh, have been adopted as children, uh, no matter what age, sometimes they have this experience of feeling um, uh, lacking stability or lacking security. Sometimes they feel like they or maybe they don't belong here. I was talking to someone recently who's been adopted, and they said they have this feeling going throughout life that there is this uh, feeling that you're never at home. And for those of you who've been adopted, maybe you've felt that before. Not everybody feels that. But there's just something where it doesn't feel very stable or secure. And not all the time, but just at times. And there, there are technical words for those that, uh, that can be used. But what they need is just the assurance that they're safe and they're secure in their new family. And there's going to be no rejection. In the same way as a believer... We suffer. And we have to remind ourselves and each other that just because we suffer doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Just because we go through hard times doesn't mean God has rejected us. And what we have to do is not just remind ourselves that, but we have to get someone else to tell us that as well. It's so helpful when someone else comes up to you and says, I know you're going through a lot of junk right now, but God is still with you and he's not rejected it not reject you. And I want to tell you, we have these things called ethos communities, and we exhort you to get into them, not because we think, hey, you're going to really help our program. It's not about that. It's about encouraging one another. And during times of suffering, you're going to need it more than ever. And you need someone to tell you, God's still with you. God is still persevering with you. He still loves you, and he's not abandoning you. And if you're not one of those communities, you've got to jump in because you need that encouragement. Because the reality is, no amount of suffering will take away the fact that you are the adopted child of God in Christ. And soon, and very soon, all this blip of suffering will be over, and you and I will be home with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we want to long to be with you. We want to enjoy this intimate relationship we have with you on this earth through Jesus. We want to take advantage of that by talking to you, receiving truth from your word. And Lord, give us endurance and perseverance through our suffering now. Help us not to turn to idols. Help us not to turn to sin. Help us just to keep coming back to you and realizing that this will soon pass, and we will be with you forever. Encourage us, Lord, by your Spirit. Stir us up today and affirm to our hearts that we are your adopted children through faith in Christ. May we be encouraged, Lord, do that work in us. In Christ's name, amen.